0: We're going to talk today about the price of healing, the price of it, the difficulty of it, the price of healing. And uh, I want to say it's a privilege and a joy to, to be able to worship with you today, to worship God, first of all, but also to worship with each other, right? We could be home today or up on a mountaintop or up on the hills above Birmingham, worshiping God on a Sunday. We do more than that on the first day of the week. We're doing something with a very rich heritage Uh, We've had uh, music together. We see each other. We are the body of Christ locally today. And we do this together. Uh, People have been doing this for 2,000 years all around the world. We are part of this this chain of history. And we're even part of a chain of worship uh, on this first day of the week with brothers and sisters around the world. We will be having in about, um, golly, I guess about three hours from now... There will be worship in the Seattle church at the 9 a.m., the 10 a.m., and the 11 a.m. And all of them will be giving a a missions contribution uh, that will work with one of our church plantings in Washington State called Bellingham, Washington. And then they will also be giving to Birmingham, or Birmingham, England. Uh, and that will be taking place in about uh, three or four hours. So, you know, when you walk out of here today, say a prayer for them to be connected to us. My hope is I shot a, a video kind of coming into church at this very simple church building uh, by American standards. <laughs> I think they'll just be thrilled to see the architecture. And, and I kind of guided them into worship. And my hope is that I'll get Andy's help to upload that on YouTube where they could just show that, you know, uh, to show them that the church is actually real here. So um, so it's it's a great privilege to be with you today and, and a great privilege also to serve with the Flemings around the world. We'll, we will be on the same side of the ocean. We're we're imposing on them this past week uh, we've been underfoot, uh, they've been feeding us, uh, I've been washing a few dishes, I'm trying to stay out of their way, but they're having us in their home. And especially Justin has been tolerating us uh, really amicably, I'm very thankful for that. Uh, and then we're going to Berlin tomorrow for a week to start making some of the preliminary arrangements of moving to Germany. We will then come back to Birmingham and be more trouble for you. <laughs> For the next two weeks, and so I'm very much looking forward just to spending and absorbing this time in the United Kingdom and some, of course, in Germany uh, before we go back to the United States. Kind of our um, our brief calendar is that we'll be back in Seattle for about a month and a half, then we'll be back in Germany in August a little bit. September we go back to the Northwest because we have some coaching to do for congregations there, including the church in Anchorage, Alaska, where we'll be for a couple of weeks. In October we will come back to Germany again. Uh, And then back to Seattle for the holidays with our families. And then we move for good, so to speak, in January of 2014. So uh, please pray for the Greens when you think of us. Pray for the Berlin Church and pray for the Greens. Especially that they might learn German. (laughs) It would be very helpful and very useful to actually speak Deutsch in Germany, right? It would be very helpful. Uh, We don't speak German. We do speak Chinese. But it's not so useful there. (laughs) Uh, And so that's sad for us. I wish we could just somehow, you know, turn Chinese sideways and it would pop out as German. That would be really wonderful. (laughs) You know, as we prepare to go there, um, like like a lot of the churches, I think, in Europe that have weathered all kinds of storms, that uh, some of those precipitated by things we've grown as a movement, as a family of churches in maturity, but some just because of our age, Uh, not to indict anyone but myself, but some of it just because of the age of life. Uh, The fact that we get exposed more to disease as we get older and we have loved ones that pass away. Uh, We have challenges raising our kids. We have challenges in school. And there's just something about living longer that brings kinds of sufferings and sometimes wounds into our lives that we would have never imagined when we were 20-somethings or when we were sort of at this, this height of power at 18 years old, leaving our folks home safely, going to university and feeling like we were on top of the world. When we really hadn't suffered much yet. There's just something about time itself that makes life challenging. And as we get ready to go to Berlin with with more mature churches there, we know there are people in need of different kinds of healing. It's interesting to me that healing is going on right now. In all of our bodies, something's healing. I I don't know, some bruise that you had, you know. uh, Maybe you chewed on your fingernail like I do sometimes, and it's actually growing back. You know, imagine what life would be like where there is no healing going on. Every bruise stays, every cut stays, every scrape, every broken bone. Uh, I think we'd all live quite a very short life. And so we're healing right now of something. That's normal. And so this idea of Christians being people of healing is not to say that the church is a hospital. It is to acknowledge what is normal as part of our growth. We'll all have stuff that needs healing. But it's important for us to understand there's a price to healing. There's something we must do to be healed. And I want us to look at this. These are things on my mind as I get ready to go to Berlin, and I'm I'm sharing with sharing them with you as well and hopeful that they will add to this rich service that we're having today. In Mark chapter two, now on the the uh, the docket they handed me at service, it says that I have to be done at 332. I'd say that's I'd say that's highly unlikely. But hopefully, if I do something beautiful and not something ugly, it won't matter to you. So I'm hopeful that in this next uh, 25 minutes or so, that we can really learn some great things again. And then we'll finish in prayer, and then we'll be closing out our service. Mark chapter two. We'll talk about two kinds of healing today. Two things that may need healing in our lives, not just today, but at different stages of life as well. Mark chapter two. We'll read one through twelve. A man whose dream it was simply to walk. Jesus heals this paralytic. Verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get into Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. I'll bet that's true. A man whose dream it was just to walk. Just to walk. And there was a price for this healing. What was it like to be a man who could not walk? We don't know for how long, but a paralytic. Paralyzed. And to hear that this... This Jesus of Nazareth, this this miracle worker was coming to Capernaum. What was it like to be at home thinking, is there some way that um, maybe he could come to our... Will he be in the streets? Will it be like a parade? Can we go outside and say, hey, you know, what will happen? And how he and his friends must have talked about this. How he and his family must have talked about this. And then for he or his friends were together for them to have this idea you know what we'll do is we'll, we'll just pick you up and we'll, we'll carry you, we'll find out where he's going to speak and then we'll, we'll carry you to the, the house there and, and we'll go in the house and Jesus will see you and we've heard he's compassionate and we'll ask for a healing. Well, they get there and the crowd was so thick that they couldn't get in. Now that's some crowd. How crowded is that? Think about it for a second. I mean, how bizarre is it, even with a big crowd, when you've got a man and you're carrying him on a mat and you bring him to the crowd and you say, excuse me, and it's not enough to get in. Maybe it would be like a crowd filling up this building today and flowing out the doors and going out in sort of this this wedge direction for a half a mile. Maybe it would be such a crowd. That the only way they could figure it out, and I don't know who figured it out, I don't know if it was the man or his friends, and they said, this will never work. Uh, He'll be done and he'll be gone. Let's go around where there is no crowd. And they run around and they, they get up to the roof and they began to dig through the roof. How long did it take to dig through the roof? What did they have? Did they bring their sawzall? Did they bring their pneumatic gun? You know, did they bring shovels? Did they do more than just use their finger, uh, fingernails? I think so. But they dug this hole in the roof big enough to lower him through. And as the man came through the roof and Jesus saw him, he looked at him and said, son, your sins are forgiven. And I wonder what that man thought did he think that's that's good. can I have a second wish? <laughs> It'd be to walk you know and then the Pharisees, the leaders, the cynics, the teachers of all the people who aren't ready to go do something beautiful they 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 said who, who does Jesus think he is? who does he think he is and then Jesus saying, look So that you guys can figure it out. Yes, pick up your mat and walk. So that you can know I have authority on earth to forgive sins. Maybe today we've been in a position to want to have this dream to walk physically. Maybe not. But I say that all of us or we wouldn't be here today have had this dream to walk spiritually. We've had a dream to overcome whatever it is in our lives, including our sins to be forgiven. That we might fulfill a dream to walk with Jehovah. To walk with Jesus Christ. To walk with the Almighty God. As the Bible talks about, for example, in the book of Genesis, chapter 5. If you can get there quick enough. Genesis 5. And if not, you can just read this when you get home. Genesis 5, this genealogy taking us to the time of uh, Noah. Talks about this man Enoch that had a big impact on my life when I was a kid. Bible says in verse 21, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. When I was a little boy, I was pretty competitive. And I wanted to run the fastest and jump the highest and make good grades and blah, 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 blah. And when I read this scripture, I said, that's what it means to be spiritual. To walk with God in such a way that He'll just take you. He'll pluck you from life. And I said, that's my goal. I don't exactly know if that's my goal anymore. (laughs) It might be a little scary to be plucked. But this idea that a person could walk with God, not only worship God, not only respect Him, not only learn about Him and understand Him, not only him. Or revere Him. But to be a person who says, You and I walk together. We're best friends. And we walk together. Those of us that are kind of on the outside of Christianity looking in, we might say that we are part-time seekers. Or perhaps we're even a very serious seeker of God. And we're, we're full-time seekers. I would ask you, Isn't this really the appealing goal? Rather than being religious people? Is this not really the goal? To think that we could be in a place to actually walk with God and not be so separate From his awesomeness. But to walk together. That's what I was interested in. Not just being religious. And for we as disciples. Where sometimes we can fall into the immaturity of legalism in our faith. And sometimes we can have what I call. I forgot to mention that I also work in Seattle as a marriage and family therapist. So I'm an evangelist in the church and an elder. But I'm also a licensed therapist in the state of Washington. And some of the people that I get with who are clients of mine. They have what I call. Thick God stories. That are a little different than this. And some of those God stories are very legalistic. Like God wants me to do this and, this and this and this and this and this. And I can never really please him. They have what I call God stories that are not very useful for them. And some of us may have that going on in our lives. As disciples we, we may have a God story that says. My God story is all about just kind of bowing down. And there is a time to bow down. Or maybe all about apologizing. Sorry God I messed up again. And there is a time to apologize. But I wonder if we've got this God story going on where we could walk with God and as Jesus said in John 15 verse 15 that we could become His friends. God is my best friend. That I could respect Him but love Him and walk as a best friend. If that sounds good to you if that's really what you want to do before you're done with this life on earth there's a price to be paid. Here may be some things for you. Number one, it may seem too crowded to do it. How could I be God's best friend? Maybe that's a Mother Teresa role. Maybe that's the vicar's role. Maybe that's Andy Fleming's role. You know, Andy knows God really well. Maybe that's these, these super Christians that could walk with God. It feels a little crowded. How could God have time for me? And I love that scripture that Lynn talked about where Jesus anticipated this very thing in Luke chapter 12. She cited in verse 7, when Jesus looked at the crowd, he says, You worry about this and you worry about that, and God doesn't know my way. He says, The hairs on your head are numbered. For those of us that don't have much hair, I've been trying to find other analogies that might work for you, but they all came out disrespectful. So I finally... (laughs) I finally found one that I thought everyone, man and woman, could relate to. Like, God knows all the wrinkles on your elbow. <laughs> we all have those. He, he can number them. He knows all the wrinkles on your elbow. With Jesus answering this question, does what I do and who I am, does it really matter to him personally? Not just theologically. Not as one of the great body of Christ blob. But me. Me. Does it matter to him personally? And Jesus says, I know your hairs. I know your wrinkles. I know who you've loved. I know who broke your heart. I know what you worried about with your youngest child. I know what keeps you up at night with your oldest child. I know how much you cared about your parents. I know what kind of job you wanted but you didn't get. I know the one that you did get and how you tried to work with it and suffer. I know the diseases you've been through. I know every path that you've trod. I know it. I know it. And it matters to me. We sing a song as kids that says, Jesus loves me, this I know. I like this one better. Jesus knows me, this I love. Jesus knows you inside and out. It's not too crowded in his house. Maybe a second thing that might hold us back from our walk with God is, is it's really hard to dig holes in the roof. In other words, it's an embarrassing thing. If you're somebody especially who's been studying the Bible or maybe your faith has been weak and you're trying to figure out how to make your your walk with God something special, you're worried about really doing things that might embarrass you. It had to be embarrassing for this for the friends and the man to say, we're going to dig through the roof, it'll work, don't worry. But you had to be thinking, well, what if we, we dig through the roof and we get lowered through and then Jesus already left? Or what if we dig through the roof and Jesus says, What the... Would you guys act normally? Come back next week. It's embarrassing. And sometimes trying to seek God in this way can be an embarrassing thing. <coughs> we live in kind of a... In my opinion, in this 21st century, In a, a weird, disrespectful world. We, Andy and I were on a, a writer's retreat with Valder Koha in April. And we were on a, um, a ferry... And we sat down and this, this uh, woman and I think her husband sat down and talked with us. <coughs> and We were talking with them a little bit about God and the woman, the woman was kind, kindly condescending. She said, you know, I'm just too much of a scientist to believe in God. And you know how time kind of freezes for a minute and you have these images go through your head that are unholy? You know, I had this vision of going... <laughs> But I smiled at her and said, okay, i then. And in my heart I was thinking, what kind of science? Junk science? Alchemy? What's wrong with you? But I didn't say that. But we're living in a disrespectful world towards Jesus Christ. And this can discourage us sometimes. But I want to encourage you, especially especially some of us that are younger, (coughs) whether it's in high school or college or university, I'd be grateful if somebody would get me a glass of water. Thank you. Um, if we're younger and we're going through those times and, and peer pressure is upon us And people are trying to embarrass us And we don't want to be embarrassed it, it can be very tough But you know, Max was taking a chance with Britain He was embarrassing himself What if he, what was he doing? Kind of, whoo You know, what if the next thing was I gotta think about it That would have been embarrassing So he had to take a chance When he asked her to marry him, right? He had to take a chance Uh, We may feel embarrassed in other ways to try to seek God. Thank you, brother. It takes a (laughs) Scot to meet the needs of a Scot. It's worth it to do what's embarrassing for who you love. I used to sing for my wife. I still do occasionally. I once sang for her in front of the entire Hong Kong church, which had 2,000 people. And I won't do that today because I don't think that would be something beautiful. Um, What if God said that to us? Hey, could you just sing me a song? And then we'll be close. Just sing it in front of your friends and then you're going to go to heaven. Would you do it? I think I'd do it. It's worth it. It's worth it to be a little embarrassed. It's worth it to get through the crowd. This third piece where the man says... Jesus says, you know, your sins are forgiven. We'll we'll come to that. We're going to skip over that. We'll come to that here at the end. And then this last one where he had to have friends take him in. The way that I see that is for us to have this walk with God, we are going to need friends to help us get there. Did anybody here become a Christian on their own? I really doubt it. He, I was just talking with Derek earlier today and, and he was talking about when he became a Christian In the Birmingham church And how he would kind of walk by church And wonder what that was about And then later he became seeking And then somebody invited him And then Mike D'Souza invited him to study the Bible All of us have stories to tell like that We were not meant to do this on our own Christianity is meant to be shared It is meant to be taught It is not meant to be caught like a cold We can't do it on our own I'm, I'm uh, impressed how in Western culture we keep trying to do it all on our own. I went into a, um, a Tesco grocery yesterday, and uh, I was just getting a few things. And I, I went in there, and there was nobody in there except customers. And so I went to the, the line where you do and it was, you have to do your own checkout. So I, I was there trying to do my checkout, and nobody there. And I, I put my things on there, and it said, you know, uh, assistance needed so I hit the buttons a few more times and tried to you know assistance needed and I tried to do it again assistance needed and I thought it was going to say assistance needed stupid you know (laughs) and and so I and by then there were six people in line and uh, I just said help (laughs) and they they kind of looked at so then I went into the back of the store I went through the doors I was going is anyone here help, you know, and uh, finally one of the guys came and did, he goes, oh, no problem, you know, and clicked me on through and I got through there and I just thought, man, we're living in a weird world. (laughs) I I guess they could have stolen the entire grocery store and no one would have known it, you know, but but this emphasis on do it yourself and I get that, I like, I I don't want to have to depend on Tammy to cook for us, although she's a terrific cook, you know, I get that, but with Christianity, we need each other. We needed each other when we were studying the Bible. We need each other today. We're going to need one another this week. There are going to be things and developments in our lives that are possible, not on our own, but with and because of one another. The thing that I love about spending time with Andy is we can um the developments that come for us spiritually are largely not intentional. Like, Andy doesn't sit down and say, well, i got to remember tomorrow afternoon to teach Scott these three points. I I don't think late at night tonight I need to be extremely intentional about making sure that we discuss these five passages in the Bible. We we don't do it. It's just that we're together and we sort of scaffold each other's faith higher. You see what I'm saying? And we need each other for that to have this walk with God. And I love the idea of going up on the hillside... um, Me and God, my God and I, I love that idea. But I think sometimes we underestimate the fact that we need one another in Christ. And no part of the body, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, can say to the other, I don't need you. We are not built that way by God. We are not built to be alone only at the mountaintop. We are built to need each other. And it's part of why we're here today. To walk with God. What's your God story today? Does it need some tweaking and some healing? There's a price to be paid, but it's a great deal. Pay the price. And lastly, over in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We'll move faster with this second one. It will be more beautiful. Alright, Luke 5, beginning in verse 1. We're going to talk about a second kind of, of healing here. And that was of this man's purpose in life. Who had a damaged sense of purpose. Luke chapter 5 the Apostle Peter, Simon Peter Luke 5, 1-11 one, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats the one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from the shore Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed Him. This man Simon Peter, like us as we began to follow Christ, someone who was looking for purpose in his life. We call it vocational or professional. And whether that's to be a fisherman or an accountant or a banker or an engineer or a sportsman or a tradesman, whatever it may be, in life we are encouraged and pushed and need to find some sort of purpose for our lives but what I find is that in life purpose tends to let us down accounting isn't all it's cracked up to be (laughs) engineering doesn't fix everything being a performing artist isn't as glorious as it seemed when we were in secondary school all these different purposes that we need, we have to do this, we're out to do it, and yet somehow it's not what we were created for. And we may need healing and understanding what our purpose is in this life. If we are outside of Christ today, if you know it, if you're outside of Christ today, probably part of why you're here is not just because someone was polite to you, but because you're asking the question, what am I doing here? Not not, not in this building, not in, not in Birmingham. What am I doing on this earth? Why was I created? What am I actually here for? Because deep down we know we need a purpose bigger than ourselves. That connects with people, not just vocation. That connects with change of lives and not just money and safety and security that comes from that. This is how we know who we are. Our purpose that affects people and inspires men and grows the world from the inside out. That's more than being a churchy person. That's more than being a come-to-church person. That is being a spiritual person having deep impact on your friends and your neighbors and your family. Even your workplace. Spiritual purpose. If you're in Christ, and this may have taken a hit for you or you may need some healing. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. In Christ, we have more than one purpose. Let's make sure we understand that clearly. I have a purpose to to be with God. I have a purpose to get to heaven. I have a purpose to grow and mature spiritually and become a different person than I was Three years ago or three months ago or three weeks ago. I have a purpose to learn to love you in Christ and become this person of love and understand your love better and better. And I have a purpose, yes, to share my faith and love with my neighbors and lead them to Christ. Amen, church? we got a lot of purposes here. And sharing the gospel is huge, but it's one of many developments in the spiritual life. But I want to have in Christ a great sense of purpose. And maybe some of us have lost some of that. We wind up spiritually kind of going through the motions. Instead of having a healed purpose. When it's the way it ought to be. Then we will feel like we're we're developing together. And enjoying a great feast. It will feel like we're getting the very best of British gastropubs. Or the best Indian food. It will seem rich and wonderful, and we will be sharing it with our neighbors, the feast that grows. Justin was very kind to us the other day. I I got home, and it was probably 9.30 at night, and I think he asked me, Have you guys had dinner? And I said, Well, I haven't. He said, I'll cook for you. And he did. It was magnificent. And so I want Justin to continue to grow in that area of life. (laughs) Extremely useful for me. My son's a great cook. At his, uh, he's 24 years old. He can cook way more things than I ever could in my whole life. He's, he's kind of a, a mini chef. And I talk about it. I now tell people, I go, that man can cook. Because I love the feast. And that's how it is when we share our faith. It's not a task that we do. It's not a responsibility that we give. It's a feast that we go, taste this. Take a bite. Come with me and taste. We share the feast. If you need healing in your purpose, it may be because of some of these things that Peter was talking about. What are, what are some of the things for him that were in the way? Number one, Jesus says, let out the nets for a catch. And Peter says, and I'm speculating. I'm imagining Simon going out kind of his thought bubble. These preacher people, they get on our boats, we take them out for a tour, we let them preach, and now they're trying to tell us how to fish. What do you think, James? What do you think, Andrew? You know, oh, uh sure, why didn't we think of that? No, Jesus, we went out and we tried all night to catch fish. But because you say so, <laughs> I guess we can do it. I don't know if that's how he was thinking, but it seems that way to me. It's this idea of, we've tried that before. We've tried that before. You know, when I was 18 years old and I was going away to college, as much as I was searching for spiritual purpose in my life, I was done with church. I remember thinking that. I remember going to the University of North Carolina and thinking, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not going to keep going to church. I'm kind of sick of what I saw. I didn't really like it. You know, I grew up in a traditional upbringing where church just wasn't practical and it didn't touch the soul and touch the heart. And I was nearly done. And a lot of us have been in that place before. We felt like I've tried that before. I'm done. I needed a pure return to the Bible. And I needed to see it in relationships for the first time in my life. I need to see it at work. I needed to see it in leadership in the church. Now I wonder if some of us would feel just the opposite. Now I'm too old. I was a really vibrant Christian in my 20s. I was a super Christian in my 30s. Now I'm a worn out Christian in my 40s and 50s. Sometimes we feel like it's a bit too late. And I like this this poem by Lord Tennyson that was featured recently in uh, the film Skyfall. He kind of captures this in a poem called Ulysses where he says, Come my friends, speaking to us 40 and 50 year olds I think. "'Tis not too late to seek a newer world. Push off, and sitting well in order, smite the sounding furrows. For my purpose holds to sail beyond the sunset and the baths of all the western stars until I die. It may be that the gulfs wash us down. It may be that we shall touch the happy isles and see the great Achilles whom we knew. Though much is taken, and by that he means taken out of us, we've all suffered." Though much is taken, much abides. And though we are not now that strength which in old days moved heaven and earth, that which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. We're not too old. We're not too tired. To go to a Berlin. We're not too old and too tired to build an amazing church to the glory of God in Birmingham. And to our neighbors, right? We're not. We don't have to say, I tried that once before and it didn't work out so well. That's not the spirit of healing. Some of us may struggle as Peter did for a moment with feeling sinful. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Go away from me. And I think we are a people that understand the forgiveness of sins, right? I mean, we are a people who would say we understand repentance to be baptized for the remission of sins and we understand that we have been forgiven. But I wonder sometimes if we still carry shame. We kind of acknowledge intellectually I'm forgiven, but we carry a sense of shame. Uh, on Friday night, while the women were having a, a great spiritual time, the men went bowling. I haven't bowled in 25 years. And boy, did it show. And uh, on our bowling alley It was me and Justin and a bunch of the other brothers And we were on our, our alley And Scott was there And uh, Chris was there and, and, uh, and several others And Jason and, and, and Alex and others And we were bowling And our bowling thing wouldn't work right So you'd go up there And you'd throw your ball And no matter what It always came out an eight So you'd hit like two pins But it would say eight <laughs> And then like you'd throw the next one in the gutter and it would say, nine. (laughs) And one time, this is no joke, one of us threw the ball into the gutter on the first ball and it came out, strike. (laughs) And this went on for about a half an hour and and we began to call it Grace Alley. (laughs) And we were enjoying this through about four frames. No matter what, you got an eight or a nine and and then somebody fixed it. (laughs) And I have to say that I then ensued on having a shameful score. I liked Grace better than my shameful score. I enjoyed Grace Alley. I felt ashamed of my normal bowling. And I want us to think about the grace of God as something very special here. That the grace of God is not merely uh, like if we had a chalkboard up here or a whiteboard and we, we put a list of all of your sins on the board up and down. And then when we become Christians, it gets erased, right? It gets erased. But then as Christians, we start to feel like maybe we put some new ones on there. Like here's another one and here's another one. I want to throw an idea at you that, that we can wind up going through our lives spiritually, acknowledging forgiveness of sins, but always feeling a little ashamed. And I think that what God is trying to tell us with grace is, I'm not keeping score like that anymore. When you become a Christian, I'm not tallying like that. You're you're putting your heart out there, you get a strike. You're putting your best foot out there as you can, you get eight. (laughs) You get a spare. I mean, I'm fired up about what you're doing when you give heart and soul to me. And God can overcome not just our sin, but our shame. And then this last thing that that, uh, I think stops us sometimes from healing is the sense that we know better. When we first became disciples, we said, I don't know better. The Bible knows better. But over time, maybe we gave over our lives so much to someone else and didn't have our own opinions. That now as we get older, we rebound and say, hey, I really know again. I know my stuff. I know my life. And I will say this. You will be an expert on your own life way better than I will be. If you came to me and said, Scott, could you give me uh, guidance and advice on my life? I would say, I can be helpful, but you know your life way better than I do. Tell me all about your life. Let's have a rich conversation about that before I just tell you, well, go do this. You really know a lot about your life, and you know a lot. But at the end of the day, when Peter was saying, put him out there before, and you know Jesus, there's no way we're doing that tonight. He'd have missed the miracle. And so no matter how young we are, no matter how old we are, no matter how experienced we are, no matter how wise we are, no matter how much we know our Bibles, no matter what we've done, there comes a fundamental point of saying, I don't know enough on my own. I don't need to come to God with that basic humility. And I remember, I'll, I'll leave you with this last story. I remember how important this was the first time that I went to mainland China. It was in 1988. Like before the cell phone. And in the summer of 1980, it was, wasn't it? I think it may have been. Or in those days, the cell phones looked like these giant military things that you put on the table. You remember those? That was a cell phone, and you had to hold it with two hands. Hello. And everybody felt really cool that had one. And they would place it on their table at dinner, like that. And I went to China in 1988, and in those days, China was liberal enough that I could walk onto the campus of Beijing University. Not a problem. That's still not true today. 25 years later, I can't just walk onto that campus without a permit. But I could that year, because they were liberalized. This is before the Tiananmen incident, a year later. So I walked onto that that campus... At Beijing University, armed with my great cross-cultural share-my-faith tools, I had a Bible in my jean pocket and a Frisbee in my right hand and a backgammon set in my left hand. And I went around that campus teaching people to play backgammon and how to play Frisbee. And after the whole day, we invited people to come to to what we called Bible Talk or Soul Talk. And I remember that night in the the, uh, dormitory, I went into that dorm room with my friend Arthur who could translate into Mandarin Chinese for me. And that room was just packed, full of people, sitting on the floor, in the lower bunks, in the upper bunks, hanging from the rafters, all of these these, uh, agnostic, atheistic students at the top university in the land, wanting to hear about the Bible. And so I started off that that study by asking, I said, uh, who's got questions? The first guy goes, I got a question. I said, shoot. Where is God? Huh? Where is he? And he kind of smiled and thought he had really a great question. So I said, well, what if I said Pittsburgh? Would you go to Pittsburgh? Oh, oh, I don't know. What if I said he was in Beijing? Would you look for him? Next question. And we went around for a while at this. We went around to some of these weird questions that kind of avoid the issue. And then I turned to John chapter 5 where it talks about how Jesus said to this, this man who was by the pool and couldn't get healed, Jesus said, do you want to get well? And I wrapped up that study that night by saying it kind of boils down to this. We can talk about evolution. We can talk C.S. Lewis. We can talk apologetics. We can talk about your life. But here's what I know. If you think everything's fine in your life today, if you think everything's fine in this country, then there's no way I can talk to you about God in a way that will make any sense to you. I said, but if you know deep down something's missing in your heart, and something's wrong with your life, and something's going wrong with this nation at the core, then I tell you, you're a spiritual seeker. And you put your head in the Bible and begin to learn about Jehovah. And the silence in that room, I thought... Now I've done it. Here comes the public security Bureau, you know. But they were all nodding and thinking and stressing and straining. Now we have a thousand disciples in mainland China. We've got churches all over that place that are growing. And it boils down to that for us as well. It boils down to that for us 25 years later, and 25,000 miles removed. It boils down to, "Do you really think everything's fine?" If so, you won't really find your purpose again. if you're really content. That if you know something's missing and you need a calling again that is high in your life and worth living spiritual life for, that you will find a great spiritual purpose again in Christ. Amen, church? Amen. I thank you guys today for all of your work. I consider us looking into the scriptures and thinking through these things to be work. You're working hard today. And we've had a rich time together. Let's bow our heads out of respect and go to the Father and ask for His blessing on all that we've experienced together. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that we live in a a nation where it's not hard to meet together. We really have that freedom. A lot of people in this world that still don't have that. Help us not to take it for granted. Help us to look around this room to see what we have in, in terms of comfort, convenience. To look around at each other and see what we have in family what we have in advisors and older disciples and the zeal of younger disciples and this, this rich, magical mix that we have called the body of Christ. Help us to appreciate it. And Father, help us to continue to examine ourselves. We did during the communion time. We, we examined ourselves and our hearts. But help us to take your word and these, these stories about Simon Peter, these stories about a paralytic, and take them home with us And still do that kind of self-examination on where we need to go to be healed and to recognize the work that it takes to be healed. We thank you, Father, for your love, for your kindness. We thank you, Father, for the body of Christ here today. In Jesus' name, amen.